sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, it's day who knows what in the social distancing marathon here. And um, it's definitely not business as usual at Freedom's Ring. And so we're going to turn our attention right now to a different area that we may not have thought much about how the current climate is affecting overseas missionaries who need to return to the United States. I'm very happy to welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Bettina Krauss serves as Director of Government Relations at the Seventh-day Adventist Church's World Headquarters outside of Washington, D.C. Bettina, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's a pleasure to be with you, Alan, even if it is in very unusual times. So, you know, when we first scheduled this, we were going to talk about blasphemy laws and uh, various rules that are very much a, uh, a religious liberty issue and restrictions on free speech and how, you know, how religious folks are being impacted by blasphemy laws. And those are really important topics, but we've been preempted. And I know that your work has been preempted. Uh, and you were starting to explain to me that you've been spending your time trying to get missionaries returned to the United States. What's happening with foreign missionaries? The issue is not so much with foreign missionaries who are resident in countries and have been resident for long term, um, and they are expecting to their term to continue for you know a set period of time. The issue has more been with short term mission workers. You know, when they left the shores of the United States, um, it was a very different United States than it is now. There were maybe hints of the coronavirus um, epidemic coming, but certainly the scale of the response um, couldn't have been foreseen um, when many of these groups left the United States to go and serve short-term mission trips in many different places, but um, the majority of cases I've been dealing with this week are from countries in Africa. So what kind of short-term um, mission projects and, and what kinds of groups are we talking about here? The groups that I've been working with have been uh, affiliated with volunteer organizations, lay uh, lay church organizations, um, also uh, affiliated with a local church which has sponsored um, a group to go to a particular area to achieve a certain goal such as um, to provide free dental care or to go and help a local church in an African country to build a church or to um, establish some infrastructure that's needed there. So these are all humanitarian volunteers not professional ones, but um, organized by entities that have experience and um, know-how in doing this sort of mission trip, but who have come up against circumstances that um, they've never run into before. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that, you know, the, the virus and the changes have impacted the church. But this is one that perhaps many of us haven't haven't thought about. 
Um, a lot of Americans, not just, you know, you serve in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but uh, Americans from all walks of, of Christian life um, are engaged in, in short-term mission projects all over the planet. Yeah. This uh, restriction on travel is, is likely to have an impact on the person-to-person uh, sharing of the gospel, is it not? Most certainly. You know, at just as how we're doing church here in the U.S. at a local level is having to be reimagined, you know, we may have to reimagine in the future how we conduct our overseas outreach. Um, but it is interesting to me that although this particular scenario that we're facing now couldn't have been foreseen, there are principles, there are you know, best practices which should be followed which can help mitigate um, the exposure to danger or to inconvenience that some of these short-term mission trips um, are facing now. They they could help mitigate if they uh, just engage in these very simple uh, processes um, before they leave for the mission trip. So... What exactly are you know what kinds of mitigation efforts are you are you thinking of? Right. Okay, so the most basic one is before you leave the country to enroll in a program that's run by the uh, State Department called STEP. Um, it's an acronym, and I, I'm afraid I can't tell you what it stands for off the top of my head, but basically what it does is to register your information and in each of the individual registration uh, information with um, the State Department so they know where you're going, when you intend to come back, all your passport details, that sort of thing. So if you do find yourself in trouble overseas, you um, are more easily identifiable to the local embassy in whatever country you're serving. So that is one easy step that can be taken. The second step... I th- is that something that mission groups are commonly doing? Yes. Yeah, so most of uh, the mission trips that I've been dealing with have uh, done that very basic step of enrolling in this program before uh, they left the U.S. Um, and it does make it so much easier to coordinate a response um, to their uh, to whatever distress they're facing. Um, so that, I would say, is one of the more basic steps. But even more important than that is when you receive, a, while you're overseas, when you receive a warning from the embassy through this program step, you need to heed the warning. Um, <laughs> in a, in a you number don't say. Of, yes, exactly. This is why the warning issue. Um, in one of the instances, we are still dealing with actually half the group, half the um, membership of the mission trip decided to heed the warning and return home. The other half decided to stay. And that half is the half that um, is facing real difficulty in returning to the U.S. for a, a number of reasons. So what kinds of difficulties now for groups? So you're saying the warning went out and some groups are staying, some groups are cutting short their mission trips, and then obviously there are flights canceled, or is it that there are now restrictions on travel from some countries that are making it harder to come home? Now, it is both. Um, 
In the first instance, there is in many countries, in many of the hubs uh, in cities in Africa, there are flights being cancelled. The um, ability of people to make on-the-fly bookings on a commercial carrier is in some places almost impossible. Um, this was the problem with one of the groups we dealt with, which ultimately was resolved when the State Department stepped in and helped the local embassy or asked the local embassy to find them seats on a commercial airline, which they wouldn't have been able to receive if they'd tried to book it through, you know, the usual means you book an airline to get. So that's one problem. There is chaos in terms of what airlines are still allowed to fly in, what airlines are still allowed to fly out, and every country around the world, of course, is issuing their own regulations regarding air carrier um, regarding air carriers, and so you have a single airport trying to negotiate all these different rules which are suddenly springing up out of nowhere. And so understandably, um, there is there's a lot of um, chaos at these airports, and so people aren't finding flights out. The second problem is that if you're trying to return to the U.S., as of uh, March uh, 16, I believe, there was a directive issued by the Homeland Security um, Bureau that um, if you have within 14 days transited through a European airport, which is considered um, a place where you could have been exposed to COVID-19, you can only re-enter the United States via one of 13 specially designated airports which have CDC-enhanced screening for passengers from these places. Um, and that is a, a problem that one of our groups has run into because we managed to get them on a flight from one country to another country en route back home. But their destination airport was one of these non-designated airports, which doesn't have the CDC screening. And this group had transited almost 14 days earlier through a European hub, they hadn't left the airport. They hadn't they hadn't left the secure zone of the airport at all, and they were deemed to have been exposed to sure. potential COVID nineteen infection. So they were pulled from their flight and are now still waiting um, in this airport for uh, a connection home. So. The problem is not just that these new regulations exist, it's that, that no one knows how they're being enforced. There's no precedent for, um, you know, how they're being interpreted. So people are sort of making it up as they go. And information, solid, hard information, is very difficult to come by. You know, Bettina, one of the takeaways for me, this may sound sort of simplistic, but while you've been battling to try to get people home, I have been battling with health insurance companies over uh, various issues. And all of us, I think, in regular life, we face, you know, mindless customer service bureaucracies that are enormously unhelpful. And, yes. um, you know, but I don't envy you having to deal with the State Department and these airlines and these different countries and trying to get, uh, you know, these volunteer missionaries yeah. home. Well, I must Go say, ahead. Alan, 
I, it, it, what this experience has taught me is that, um, believe it or not, our elected representatives and our um, public servants, our public officials in the State Department, they are incredibly committed to helping U.S. citizens abroad and to securing their safety. I have been so impressed with the response that I've received. Um, with each of these instances, I've appealed to the Senate office of uh, whatever a senator represents these individuals and asked for their uh, help in interceding with the State Department on behalf of the stranded person. Inevitably, I've received a positive response. I've been assigned someone to assist me. Um, when I was with the State Department, I've had nothing but um, going the extra mile to make sure that U.S. citizens and um, permanent residents also are protected and supported. It's just been quite quite an eye-opener, and I have a newfound respect for our, our public leaders. You know, we're out of time, but Bettina, as we close, I hope one of the positive changes coming out of this crisis is a newfound respect for our elected officials and their staffs. You and I both work in government relations, and we know there's lots of very dedicated, very capable folks. And this kind of knee-jerk, anti-government attitude is just not it's just not cool. Our it's guest today, Bettina Krauss, Director of Government Relations for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As we close, friends, remember, even the coronavirus won't slow down our efforts to protect your religious freedom. Remember, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We provide legal services for those suffering religious discrimination. So check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And don't forget, freedom is not free. Be informed, get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, a producer of Freedom's Ring, at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing.